Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Shelby Christian Church. My name is Dennis Dove. I'm the executive pastor here. I'm used to waving you guys outside before you get here, so it's a lot easier just being here and wave once. So good morning, everybody. Good morning to the online people that are watching today. Uh, A couple of announcements before we start uh, worship. Uh, We have man camp coming up uh, this weekend, Friday night, Saturday. So any guys, bring your kids, just come by yourself, just to have a good time doing what men do, I guess. Uh, Over there in the new field, you can uh, sign up. Uh, online. Also, our Family Fall Fun Fest uh, is happening in the field over there on the 28th, so we need candy. There's boxes out there that you guys can uh, put candy if you can't do it. We also need uh, people that are willing to hand it out, you know, that night, uh, and also other volunteers uh, to even help set up teardown, registration, there's a whole list of things. If you go online, uh, Tiffany has got a form there that you can fill out with the different opportunities uh, to help serve in that way. We're going to have a huge number in the community here for that. So uh, why don't you guys stand up, give everybody a friendly wave, and get ready to worship. Thanks. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my turn till I met you. I was breathing, but not alive. All my failures I tried to hide It was my turn Jesus till I met you You come
make this a prayer this morning. Give it all to God and serve and worship.
communion, I'm always, uh, every time I come to the time of communion, I'm reminded of uh, a day at Milligan College where I went. Uh, it was Spiritual Renewal Week, and a guy came to speak, uh, a World War II vet, and his best friend, uh, they were sitting next to each other, I guess like in a, a battle zone or something, but kind of like on a little break, they thought, when a, a hand grenade came over, and his buddy handed him his chocolate bar and just got on it and, and died for him. Um, and later he was went to, to talk to the family and the mom, and he said, do you think he loved me? And the mom just started crying and said, like, what more could he have done for you? What more could he have done for you? So every time when I think about uh, taking the, the bread and the cup, and the, you know, the body and the blood of Christ, that story just hits me. What more could Christ have done for me? What more could he have done for me? So as we enter this time, they're going to play a song. Um, and you can continue worship through through communion, and there's the giving boxes there. You can worship through the giving there um, as well after I'm done praying. So let's pray. Dear God, we just we just lift you up. Worthy are you, God. Worthy of our praise, and we just love you. Help us now to to, to cleanse ourselves and come to you uh, clean, not thinking about anything else but Christ and what He did for us. And your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. It's your body and your blood you shed for me. This is how I fight my battles. There's a table that you prepared for me. 
Amen. Amen. You guys have a seat. You ready to go to war? Let's go to war. Let's go to war. In 1977, uh, the winter of 1977, I was a junior in high school, and on December the 4th, in Bangai, Central Africa, uh, the world was witness to the coronation of Imperial, or Imperial Majesty Bukasa I. Let me read you the Newsweek article, or a little bit of the Newsweek article about that coronation event, which went over at the price tag of only $25 million dollars. In 1977, at 10 a.m. that morning, the blare of trumpets and the roll of drums announced the approach of His Majesty. The procession began with the family, including their future heir to the throne, dressed in white admiral's uniform with gold braid. He was seated on a red pillow to the left of the throne. Catherine followed the favorite of Bukasa's nine wives. That may be a problem. Uh, she was wearing a $73,000 gown made by Lavin of Paris, strewn with the pearls that she had picked out herself. The emperor arrived in an imperial coach decked with the gold eagles and drawn by six matched Anglo-Norman horses. When the marine band blared the sacred march of his majesty, Emperor Bukasa, his highness, stepped out. Cloaked in a 32-pound robe decorated with, get this, 785,000 pearls and gold embroidery. White gloves adorn his hands, pearl slippers his feet. On his head he wore a gold crown of laurel wreaths like those worn by the Roman consuls of old, a symbol of the favor of the gods. As the sacred march came to a conclusion, Bukasa himself, on his $2.5 million eagle throne, took his gold law reef off, and as Napoleon 173 years before had done, took his $2.5 million crown, which was topped with an 80-carat diamond, and placed it upon his own head. At 1043... December 4th, the 20th century, saw a new emperor. All that in a little over half an hour's time. He, we, we meet a different kind of king in our text this morning. And so if you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open to Luke chapter 19. Or if you have a device and you want to open and look at it there, I want you to open to Luke chapter 19. And we're going to be starting this mini-series talking about the atoning sacrifice of Jesus in the last week of his life here on earth. And we're we're so glad that you're here this morning. Uh, Cold, kind of breezy, early fall morning. So we're glad you're here, whether you're with us here in person or online. I checked a little earlier, Stephanie, John, Wanda, Arlene, Annette, Sean, Linda, uh, Natalie, Sarah, Ella, Wendy, Debbie, and Heidi from Puerto Rico. Uh, Glad you guys are with us this morning. Here's a question I want to ask you guys. I want you to talk to the person next to you or write it down in your notes. If you're online, I want you to type it in your comment bar. What, what is the fanciest, most important event you have ever been invited to? And the follow-up question, because a good teacher always has a follow-up question. That Okay, the follow-up question to that is, did the event meet your expectations? Go. Think about it, write it down, tell the person next to you, type it online. What was the fanciest event, and did it meet your expectations? Here's the event as Luke describes it in Luke 19, starting verse 28. And when he said all these things, he went on ahead and going in Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount uh, that is called Olivet, he said, uh, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if someone asks you, why are you untying that colt? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. Different kind of coronation ceremony than that of Bukasa, it seems like. Unlike that coronation and any other royal weddings that you may have mentioned, Jesus arrives in Jerusalem on this final journey into the city with a whole lot less 
splendor, majesty. Now, just from a geographical standpoint, Bethany is about two miles away from Jerusalem. It's the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And so we've seen and we know what happened there. Bethpage is a little bit less. It's in between Bethany and Jerusalem. And that cult, that cult that they found that Jesus directed to him was probably there in the city of Bethpage. And I think it's also interesting, if you look at the end of verse 31, look at how Jesus refers to himself. He says, if anyone challenges you for untying the colt, here's what I want you to tell them. You tell them the Lord has need of it. One of the first times in any public setting at all that Jesus has referred to himself in that way. So in this, in this triumphal entry, in this coronation, I think there's some things that we can begin to see about Jesus. We can begin to see that he is an exalted king. Just like Bukasa, even more so, he is an exalted king. He purposely entered Jerusalem as a king because he needed to do that. Because just so that we're sure with history and the, and the biblical history and prophecy, that was what was prophesied in the Old Testament, in the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9 at the back of the Old Testament, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Israel. See, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation. Wasn't that what Jesus was bringing? Salvation. Righteous and having salvation. Gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so Jesus enters the city as an exalted king, a little bit different than some, but still as an exalted king. Now let's pick up our reading and scroll down and you let your eyes scroll down to verse 35 of Luke chapter 19. It says, and they brought it to Jesus, this colt, and throwing their cloaks on the coat, they set Jesus on it. So they made a makeshift saddle of sorts. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen and had been seeing, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory on the highest. But there was a great misunderstanding of Jesus's arrival. Even the disciples misunderstood because while they were singing and chanting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and they were talking about peace, that really wasn't what they were looking for. Because in their minds, still, they didn't understand. They were looking for an, an emperor, a new majesty, a ruler. And really, they were kind of looking for, all right, you guys are about to get it because here comes the real king. And they're looking for that. They're anticipating that. They're waiting for that. And and, and they had good reason to because they had seen some pretty cool things. Not far from where they were when they began chanting that they had just come out of Bethany. And it was in Bethany that they had seen Jesus bring Lazarus back from the dead. That didn't happen every day. And so they were like, this is going to be great. They had seen just recently, they'd seen him uh, talk to Bartimaeus and Bartimaeus receive his sight. They had seen the radical conversion of this guy named Zacchaeus. They had seen some great things. And the story of Jesus, the story of Jesus and what he had been doing was motivating them to a high level of energy and excitement and enthusiasm. What is your story? Of Jesus. And is it motivating you and others to high expectations? Our, our story ought to cause people to want to follow Jesus. When we share our story about what we've seen and what he's done, it ought to make people want to follow Jesus. And yet, this arrival, this exalted king's arrival, left everyone with a little bit of misunderstanding because they were looking for something else. Pharisees. You know, this is the last time that Luke refers to the Pharisees in this gospel at all. And, it, and, and the Pharisees resented his popularity. Verse 37 uh, there refers to the people in the crowd as a multitude of his disciples. As he's coming into town, there's a multitude of disciples praising him. I hope that's what Luke would say about us today. 
I hope if Luke were writing some more of his gospel today, he would say, there's a multitude of disciples on the hill today, worshiping, worshiping the coming king. But the Pharisees didn't like it at all. In fact, scroll down now to verse 39 there in our text. It says that some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, they're talking to Jesus. They're not calling him Lord. That's how Jesus would refer to himself. They're simply calling him teacher. Like many today would say Jesus was just a great teacher. They don't understand that he's Lord. But he, they say to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to be quiet. Would you just shut these guys up? Would you just make them be quiet? And Jesus answered and said, I tell you, if they were silent, the very stones would cry out. Because the coming of the Messiah is not going to be a quiet event. See, Jesus is ready to be king in that moment as he enters Jerusalem. But, but guys, don't miss this. Jesus is ready to be king of our lives today. Ready to be king of our lives today. As I said, this is the final mention in Luke's gospel, the Pharisees. And, and, and they manifested the same hostility toward the Lord that had, had marked them throughout his ministry. And his reply just made them matter. Just made them matter. And, and it, it was the dramatic turning point of the week. I tell you, if I make them be quiet, then the stones will cry out. They had no comeback for that. The, the Pharisees had no comeback for that. They, they couldn't say anything. There was nothing they could do. But, but remember, Jesus wants to be king of our life, and so there is something we can do. We can choose to worship. I mean, to, to let go and choose to truly worship Jesus as the true king of our life. See, Jesus came into the city that day as an exalted king. But it's also important to know, this is still on Sunday. The, the triumphal entry was on, on Sunday before the resurrection on the following Sunday. It's also important to know that on that Sunday, he came not only as an exalted king, <clears throat> but as a compassionate savior. And that's critical for us to remember. That Jesus came as a compassionate Savior. J. Vernon McGee said that, uh, said that more than Jesus' triumphal entry, this was Jesus' tearful entry. He, he said he was riding into Jerusalem knowing that he would be arrested and killed there by weeks in. And this been one of us, we might have been weeping over our upcoming crucifixion. But that's not what Jesus was weeping about. We see his compassion. He's a compassionate Savior. And we see it in his tears. Look at verse 41. Verse 41 and verse 42 say, As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. See, Jesus was compassionate. He was compassionate because he saw their spiritual blindness. Jesus points out our spiritual blindness. Look at verse 44. It said, you did not recognize the time of God's coming. You know, Luke is the only writer of the Gospels. It's so cool to be able to see the different points of view and different things about Jesus' life from different Gospel writers. But Luke is the only Gospel writer to record Jesus weeping over the city of Jerusalem. It was because... They couldn't see what was going on around them. The Messiah was coming. It's only the second time in the Bible that we read about Jesus weeping. The other time was when Lazarus had died and his family and friends had no hope. And, and, and you need to understand that in both cases, and especially in this case, these weren't silent tears just kind of rolling down the cheek. This is sobbing. This is sobbing, the kind of the, the kind of weeping that we would do when we see a situation that's out of control. And, and it's the very same kind of situation. If you let your mind go back to the story that most of you know of Jesus showing up in Bethany after Lazarus is dead and been buried and Mary and Martha meet him and they say, oh Lord, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus begins to weep. 
not because he thinks Lazarus is gone for good, because Jesus knows what he's about to do. Why was he weeping then? He was weeping then because the people didn't realize who Jesus was. Mary and Martha's, their, their, their whole challenge to Jesus was, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. It never crossed their mind. But I'm here now. I'm here now. And, and Jesus is weeping over their lack of faith. And as he enters Jerusalem, it's the same thing. He looked at the, the city of Jerusalem and wept because it had destroyed itself. It was crumbling from the inside out because of its leadership. Have you ever, have you ever wept over someone because you knew that they couldn't see what their actions were actually doing to themselves? Maybe it was a child. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was a brother or sister. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a coworker. Somebody that you knew and you knew that, that, They couldn't even see the damage that they were doing to themselves. Jesus kind of comes in as this exalted king and compassionate savior. And we see him, we see his compassion and his tears and he points out their spiritual blindness, but then he takes another stride. Look at verse 43 and verse 44. Jesus tells of the coming destruction of this whole city. Look at verse 43. It says, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. See, the, the amazing thing about those words right there in those two verses, those words came true less than four decades later. Those words came true exactly as Jesus spelled them out less than four years later. The Jews revolted against Rome's control in AD 66, and Titus, the son of the emperor at the time, was sent to crush the rebellion, and it got even uglier. And then in AD 70, AD 70, Jerusalem was utterly destroyed by the Romans using a barricade. Using a barricade to accomplish their victory, just as Jesus had talked about. And some 600,000 Jews lost their life in the onslaught between Titus uh, and then the Roman, uh, uh, the Roman uh, conquering of the city. See, Jesus is he's, he's weeping. He's weeping as he comes in the city. Yeah, it's a coronation. Yeah, it's, it's going to be his crowning moment. It's going to be a different kind of crown at the end of the week. But it's a special time. And yet he's compassionate because he sees what the people don't see that's about to happen. And, it, and it's, breaking, it's breaking his heart. And we also see his compassion here for those who are lost. You know... Here's the reality. It's the same thing as the reality that we'll see in a couple of weeks when we get to the actual crucifixion. When, when Jesus is on the cross and, and the thieves start talking to him, and the one thief in particular says, Come on, if you are who you say you are, then rescue us. The reality is that Jesus, being who he was, could have at any time called 10,000 angels, just as Satan had tempted him to do uh, in the time right after his baptism. He had that ability, and he chose not to play that card. He could have, he could have come into Jerusalem that day and stormed the city and destroyed the Roman authority. He didn't do that. He, he didn't come into the city and say, I told you so, I told you this is what was going to happen. He didn't do any of that. The Old Testament book of Lamentations just a book of sorrows says in chapter 3 verse 22 because of the lord's great love because of the lord's great love his compassions never fail he's a compassionate savior his compassions never fail they are new every morning and then we sing a song that says great is his faithfulness 
So here we've got the scene. We've got Jesus coming down out of Bethany and through Bethsaida. The disciples get ahead of him. They pick up a colt. They make a they make a blanket type saddle for him. They set him on the colt. He comes on down the Mount of Olives. He's coming into the city, and we've seen him as this exalted king making his grand entrance, if you would. We see him as a compassionate savior, and then we move to Monday. In Luke's gospel, we move right on into Monday in verse 45 and verse 46. And on Monday, we don't see an exalted king or a compassionate savior. We see a frustrated, verging on angry Lord. Look at verse 45. It says, And then on that day he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And in that moment, Jesus confronts the hypocrites. The story, as I said, started on Sunday. But Mark's gospel, when we compare the gospels again, it makes it very clear that this visit to the temple happened on Monday. And historically... Historically, there's some things going on here that, that makes some sense. It follows history. See, Jewish men had to pay a temple tax every year. Every year they had to go to the temple. They had to pay a temple tax. And it was the equivalent of about two days' wages. So whatever their wage was, about two days' wages was their temple tax. They had to pay it every year. And so I want us to be very clear here about Jesus' confrontation in the temple. Because over the years, over the years of my life, we've misinterpreted this a lot. It wasn't merely that they were selling things in the temple that got Jesus upset. That could have been, that could have been very helpful. That could have been a way to provide the physical sacrifices that people needed that they didn't bring with them because they traveled a long way. It could have been a very good thing to have them selling things there. It wasn't just the selling things at the temple that got Jesus upset. It was the exorbitant prices that they were charging. They were taking advantage of people's needs to sacrifice and to worship through sacrifice. They were taking advantage of that, charging exorbitant prices for their own personal profit. And so Jesus tears over the lost people in Israel and his anger at the religious leaders in the temple once again reinforce something we've seen over and over in Luke. Over and over in this year-long journey, we've seen Jesus show his compassion for lost sinners, but he saved his strongest rebukes for those who pretended to be righteous, those who were two-faced in their faith, and especially in their religious behavior. And Jesus speaks to that again here. But we also see here, as he gets into the temple, this is ultimate goal. It's the end of verse, in the end of chapter 19. The last two verses there, we see Jesus wants to be Lord of all. That's why he came. Jesus came to be Lord of all. It says in verse 47, and he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do. For all the people were hanging on his every word. See, Jesus, here's the interesting thing. Jesus comes into the city as this exalted king. He's riding on this donkey, this colt that that he's told the men to go and find. He has compassion over the people, but he's frustrated when he gets to the temple and sees what's going on. And he calls them out on that. And then apparently he just, that's where he kind of lands. The early part of his week, the early part of his trip, just there at the temple, teaching. Just teaching and teaching in such a way that nobody wanted to leave. Nobody wanted, they wanted to stay there. They, they were hanging on every single word that Jesus said. Now, if you're one of the people who wants to get rid of Jesus, it, 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 it's pretty easy to throw a guy out that nobody likes. But when the place is packed, And people are hanging on every word. But you don't like those words because they're confrontational to you. It's still, it's hard to get rid of that guy, isn't it? And they find themselves in that dilemma because he isn't just Lord on Sunday. He's Lord every day. See, 
see, even in the Jewish time, the Saturday would have been the Sabbath. And then it transitioned after the resurrection to the, the Sabbath becoming Sunday for us. <clears throat> but this is Monday. <laughs> this is Monday. And they're still there. The, apparently, the, apparently the restaurants were closed anyway. They didn't have to hurry and get out of church on Sunday. Apparently there wasn't any rush. They just stayed. And, and now they can't, get, they can't get rid of him because he's not just Lord of Sunday. He's Lord of every day. He doesn't just tell us uh, to, how to carry on in church. He expects us to be fair and honest and respectful and moral in every area of our life. And that's hard. That's hard for us because we are so prone to do our own thing and make our own decisions because Genesis 3, sin entered the world. And that sinful desire and that sinful nature has been passed on. And Jesus has been trying to reel us back. God has been trying to reel us back in. He did it originally through a flood. He did it in many different ways, in exile and bondage. He did it ultimately in Jesus. And yet we still wrestle with that, don't we? You know, as I studied and worked on this this week, I realized that the practical application wasn't as obvious as it sometimes is. Because we've looked at some passages in Luke's gospel that challenge us to do things like speak with honesty. Okay, that became kind of obvious. To lead with integrity, that, that was obvious. To, to serve with humility and to love unconditionally. But this morning, there's another attitude here I think we need to think about. And that is just, what do you think about Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus? See, the people in the crowd that Sunday and Monday, they were intrigued by him. But some of the people there despised him. And so you've got this dilemma here between this this large group of people that were intrigued by Jesus, this other group of people that despised Jesus, which side were they going to land on? And even of the ones who were intrigued by him, were they really going to follow him? See, that's, I think, our dilemma today. I think that's our world's dilemma today. I think in our world today, and we talk about it being a godless society and a godless world, but I still believe, I still believe, and especially here in our country, in our area, I still believe that there's a lot of people who are intrigued by Jesus. The whole Jesus story sounds really good. And there's a lot of people that are intrigued by Jesus just as an insurance agent. Just in case this thing plays out just like it says it's going to in here, it'd be nice to be on the Jesus team. But they're not really following. So there's our dilemma as we move into this this idea of Jesus being an atoning sacrifice. Who is Jesus to you? Now, occasionally I tell you to turn and talk to the person next to you. Right now, don't even look at them. Because it's not about them. It's all about you. Who, Who is Jesus to you? Is he someone that intrigues you? Or is he someone that you want to follow? So there's some questions to wrestle with. You might want to write these two down. Because you might want to wrestle with them all week long. Do you believe Jesus is who he said he was? Do you believe Jesus is who he said he was? It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Do you believe? Do you believe Jesus is who he said he was? Because the reality is it's time to get off the fence. It's time to pick a side to land on. And the second question is, if he is, <coughs> excuse me, if he is who he says he is, ready? Here's the tough part. Then what do I need to change? If he is who he says he is, what do I need to change? I don't know, maybe your marriage is lousy. And the reality is it's your fault. Maybe it's not, but maybe it is. Maybe, maybe you've really had a bad attitude at church. 
you're bringing other people down. Maybe you don't like this or you don't like that or you don't think so and so. You know, we're, we're already a big church. That means a whole lot of different people. That means a whole lot of different opinions. Could it be that maybe some days that your attitude about the place we worship Jesus is not what it needs to be and you're bringing other people down? Maybe, maybe your behavior on Friday nights on, on a date if you're single is not matching up with your behavior on Sunday mornings. Or maybe your behavior on Monday or Tuesday at work is not matching up with your behavior on Sunday morning. Maybe you've been fighting with a neighbor and it's time to build a bridge instead of a wall. So who do you believe Jesus is? And if he is who he says he is, what changes do you need to make in your life? In 1978, uh, the world was shocked when cult leader Jim Jones led or coerced whatever uh, more than 900 of his followers to commit suicide in Guyana. Uh, Jim Jones claimed to be the Messiah, the resurrection of Jesus. A few years later, 1993, <coughs> we all watched in shock at a standoff between the Branch Davidians and the ATF that ended in the fiery destruction of the cult's Waco compound. And the Branch Davidians were led by a guy named David Koresh who claimed to have prophetic powers and enabled him to crack the code of the seven seals of Revelation. And he convinced dozens and dozens of people to follow him. Then in 1997, Marshall Applewhite actually led a group called Heaven's Gate. He claimed to be the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God. He convinced his followers that they were going to have a rendezvous with a spaceship coming behind the Hale-Bopp, uh, Hale-Bopp, uh comet on March 26, 1997. You remember that? 2012, Reverend Sun Young Moon died. He claimed to be the Messiah. The, the second coming of Christ, fulfilling Jesus' unfinished mission. Church members were taught and believed that Sun Young Moon and his wife were the true parents of all mankind and were the restored Adam and Eve. What did all these false messiahs have in common? Well, first and foremost, <clears throat> they were all proven to be frauds. But sadly, they all took advantage of their followers' finances they didn't deliver on their promises, and they all died. They all died and left a legacy of lies and lunacy and loss. So we've seen <coughs> a story of a real coronation of a king here in our lifetime. We see these false prophets, and yet the middle of the day today we've seen the reality of an exalted king and a compassionate savior and a sometimes frustrated Lord. Let me take your, your mind to John's gospel as we finish, as we wrap up this morning. In, in John's gospel in chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, it says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And, and so, <clears throat> as we wrap up, the question today is not, how could those people miss Jesus? The question is, how could we miss him? Because his identity can be confirmed. And Jesus is who he said he is. But who is he to you? See, our world needs to hear that Jesus is Lord. He, our story needs to be so compelling that people are intrigued enough to listen and motivated to follow and so maybe today, maybe in this service especially, maybe the commitment doesn't need to be as much about accepting Jesus as it is telling your story, sharing Jesus. 
making a difference in other people's lives because you're communicating by the way that you live and by the way that you act and by the way that you talk, by the things that you do, that Jesus is who he said he is. So I want to encourage you, if you would, right now to stand with me. To stand with me and Kevin and the praise team. They're going to lead us again, and we're, we're going to sing once again about how we fight battles. We fight our battles through God's Word and through prayer. And the battle that we need to be thinking about is how does the whole world know who Jesus is? It starts by us making the commitment that Jesus is who he said he is and being willing to share that. Jason's down here. If you need to talk to someone, I'm around. Um, we got Terry's back here. We got other elders around. We got people that pray with you. But if you need to accept Jesus, we want you to come. Or maybe, maybe we need to sing. And your battle right now that we're going to sing about, your battle is I need to get bold about sharing what I believe about Jesus. Let's make some decisions right now as we sing. This is how I fight my battle. This is how I fight my battle. This is how I fight my battle. This is how I. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I. It may seem like you're surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may seem like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I fight. of a doubt this week. We're going to fight some battles and we're going to win some battles. We do it for the prayer and God, study of God's word. Uh, the unceasing prayer chain is getting close to being filled. we got about five more spots and we'll have all the half hour slots filled. And then we've got some others, so some, some half hours. we got two and three people praying. The sheets are right over there. Uh, let's fill them up today because it's a week from tomorrow uh, that is our day, the fourth Monday uh, of the month. And so stop over there if you would, if you haven't already done that, uh, and sign up for one of those remaining slots. Ironically, the hardest slots to be able to fill are in the middle of the afternoon. That's the, that was not what I would have expected. Um, we got nighttime taken care of, but like there's a gap from 2 to 3.30 uh, and then a couple more later in the afternoon that we need to get filled. So remember that uh, if you're first time here today, uh, stop by the I'm New Wall out in the lobby. Brett's got a gift for you out there. And as you're praying this week, this has been just a tough week. On our church family, we've had a lot of loss. Uh, Donnie's brother Larry passed away uh, this week. Uh, Sheila Hill's mom, uh, Lori Haggard, a former member here, uh, passed away. Uh, Mrs. Seacat, who's Kristen Doty's mom, uh, and then early, early this morning, uh, Helen Stratton uh, passed away. And so remember. Uh, her family, Wayne and Susan and the rest of the family, and we'll let you know more details about that. But it's been a tough week. It's been a tough week for a lot of people, and that's the hardest part during this kind of season we found ourselves in is we just haven't been able to kind of be there and love on people in the way that we normally do. So at least remember those folks in prayer and go to war for them. Go to battle. Thanks for being here today. Have a great week. Let's go make a difference in the world.